Someone You Should Know, a program about people you know and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. It's Wednesday morning. We got a holiday coming up this weekend. Everybody's getting excited, running out to the malls, getting that last-minute shopping uh, together. But certainly right at the onset and at the end of the show, I also will say it again. We want to wish everyone a very, very happy holiday season, a very healthy holiday season. Uh, we are brought to you today by our good friends over at No Sweat Experts. You know, right now is a good time to get in touch with No Sweat Make sure your heating unit is all set for the winter months ahead. Uh, I had my good, my tech Devin was here this week, took good care of us. Everything is in good work and order. You know, he's he found a couple things. He says, we're going to keep an eye on this. But that's what you want a good heating and air conditioning company on your side for. Because they got the eyes looking for the stuff that you can't see. No sweat experts. Contact them for a consultation and get on their program. They're good people. Well, I want to welcome to the show, Lyndall Keith Woodruff. And Lyndall, I thank you very, very much for being here. Yay! The crowd goes wild. Woo-woo! Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Stu. Appreciate you very much. We we're gonna have we're gonna have some good times. We're gonna have some fun today. We're also gonna get a little serious. I I met this young man not too long ago. It was at a social social uh, function. Uh, and all for those in the area, uh, Roy Ponder, uh, you know, Pow Ponder, Pow on Weather, uh, had a get together along with uh, Pro Nail Roofing. And uh, while we were there, I kind of rubbed elbows with Lindell. And man, this guy is involved in more things than, than, than anybody can even imagine. Uh, it, obviously, number one is uh, Woodruff Home Improvements. Um, and, and, you know, this is a generational business that, that you are part of Lindell. So tell everybody right at the onset, a little bit about what, uh, what, uh, you know, Woodruff, uh, home improvement, Woodruff windows is all about how you got involved with the family business. Well, First off, thanks again for having me on, Stuart. I really appreciate it. And, you know, you and I have been Facebook friends for a really long time. And it's awesome that we finally just randomly met by accident. And uh, meeting you and your lovely wife was fantastic, getting to connect with y'all. Y'all are just so wonderful. But I, I think what's really neat about, about our little family business is it really started with my grandfather back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, he was a commercial contractor in Dallas. And uh, brick mason by trade is, is what he was and you know he's a he's a, a veteran world war ii veteran purple heart recipient and he was always very particular um, about the work that they did and he had great foremans and great people laying the brick and they had a hand in building a lot of irving a lot of the shopping centers in irving the the woolworths the you know montgomery wards and uh, nimitz high school in irving and public libraries and even some cathedrals in east dallas uh, so my, my dad started wow. laying bricks when he was 12 and my grandfather was real particular about the work. He was, 
he was known to show up on job sites. And if one little brick was a little bit unaligned, he would take a sledgehammer and knock the wall down and make him redo it. Um, that's, that was his forte is we do it right the first time and the customer's the most important thing. And we're here to do it right as if it's our own house or our own structure. And that, so that type of mentality was ingrained in my dad at a really early age. And then, you know, my dad laid brick for him for a few years. And then in the late sixties, barber school was like the trendy thing. So my dad decided to become a barber in uh, 1967 well, is when it's he like laying bricks, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you're, you're staying in layer and hair, you know, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of similar. Got, got to make, make sure it's all, make sure it's all plumb and even, you know. <laughs> my dad's always, he would always look at the haircut from all angles and stuff. He would get like real into it. And, uh, but yeah, in the late sixties in, in the Pleasant Grove area of Dallas is where my dad started cutting hair and, and, um, you know, he just kind of had that construction thing in his blood. And then, you know, the, the early 80s when storm windows came about, my dad created quite the hair business for himself in Pleasant Grove. He had a huge clientele. He was very well known. And in the early 80s, when storm windows came out, he got storm windows and vinyl siding put on our house. And the installer was one of his hair customers. So they just started, ah. they just started talking one day and he said, you know, I could introduce you to the factory because it's local where we, we buy the materials from. We could put a little uh, display in the, in the waiting room of your barbershop. My dad had a cool waiting room with like foosball and soda machines and fireplace and, you know, really cool, like little chill area. So they built a little display and put some brochures out. And my dad didn't even tell any of his customers about it, but that first year in 1982, uh, my dad and that installer did 80 jobs together um, just because of that little display that was in the in the waiting room. So since 82, it was always something that my dad did on the side um, with a very small group of trusted uh, installers that do fantastic work. Because, you know, my dad still was very particular and he wouldn't right. just use anybody. Um, so to this day, one of our installers has been with us since 1985. And it's him and his two sons and his grandson on that crew. And um, one of our other installers has been with us since 97. And it's him and his stepson and, and another young man that, that joins them on that crew. And that's all they do is windows, doors, and siding. They don't do anything else. They're specialists in that. And we've just been fortunate to have great people uh, do our work for us and they're really great with the homeowner and they're real clean and they're respectable and the homeowners love to have them in their home. And then I got involved by kind of an accident in 2019. Um, I was, uh, I was doing a lot of video work back then producing commercials and corporate videos and music videos and stuff like that. And, and I had, a, I got a client that was an energy efficiency company for homes, but they didn't have a window department. So I introduced them to my dad so they could start offering windows to homeowners. And then I learned a little bit about the windows and I'm kind of, I'm a dork. I'm a geek. I love information. I love to know how things work. And I was the kid with the huge bookshelf and the way things work, the, the big book of answers for kids, you know, all that stuff. I always wanted to know how, I guess I get that from my granddad because he was an engineer and inventor and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, like the series of books they had, uh, everything for dummies, you know, computer yeah. uh, you know, for dummies, Google for dummies, uh, brick, brick masonry for dummies, you know, get, get all of those books. 
I wanted to know it all when I was a kid, you know, so that just kind of stayed with me. And then the more I started learning about energy efficient windows and all the benefits to homeowners, because a lot of people don't understand, you know, regular glass versus energy efficient glass, uh, what goes on with the frames, how much uh, beating your HVAC system takes. If you just have regular windows, that thing just constantly runs and runs and runs. Um, so there's it, it, energy efficient windows is one of the most beneficial things that you can do to help you save money and, uh, you know, expand the, the lifespan of the HVAC. So, so anyways, the more that I started to learn about that stuff, I fell in love with it. So I decided to walk away from production and join up with my dad and create an actual LLC, put our last name on it because it was just something my dad did as a, a side thing for years and years and years. And I had just gotten married at the time. So I was like, you know what? I really love this business. And it's something that I can see turning into a generational thing in honor of my grandfather. Yeah, actually yeah. be a way that we can provide a great service for people in the community, give back to the community in a major way for different causes and charities that we're, we're passionate about. And, um, and also build a future for, you know, my new little daughter. And, you know, just, it's really neat. So. What well, you. Yeah. I want I want to take a few minutes and talk a little bit about those energy efficient windows, because uh, I grew up in the Midwest and then I spent some time in South Florida. Then when we moved here to Texas, um, we bought a house that was uh, probably around 12, 13 years old at the time. And over the next three or four years, I started to notice that there was something in the windows that was fogging up. A little bit and I couldn't and then I looked real closely and I thought wait a minute these aren't single pane windows these are double pane windows but how do I get how do I get that white fog in between the glass and somebody told me no Texas uses a lot of these double pane windows but am I correct it's the seal around those windows that starts to break down that causes that that fog and you can't get rid of it. You really need to replace the windows. Right. The the best long if you if you really want to do a long-term solution, you know, I know there's uh once the glass fogs up and you get condensation, there's a lot of companies out there that'll come and replace the glass for you. Um and, and that that's a kind of a short-term fix. I like to say it's kind of like, you know, not not to bash that area of business, but that's kind of like putting a, a chandelier in a haunted house, really. <laughs> because, like that's, that. that's an old Jeff Foxworthy joke. I don't take credit for that one. Line. Right. Yeah. The Band-Aid approach. Yeah, the Band-Aid approach. And, you know, um, once once the home gets to a certain, you know, uh, age, if you will, that the home is constantly breathing. It's constantly settling and, and kind of shifting. And that's what creates the, the pressure and the stress on those builder grade windows that are most of the time metal frame. Um, with with the original nailing fins and, and you know the original thin glass with the thin seals, once that stuff cracks and goes, replacing the glass is a temporary fix. Eventually, you're going to get another stress crack. The seal's going to break again, and you'll get more fogging up later. It's not for sure how long it'll take, but really, if you want a long-term solution that's really going to help you save money for the longevity of being in your home and really increase the comfort level and the energy efficiency of your home, the best thing to do is pull out all the old windows. We pack, once the old window comes out, we, we pack it with high grade insulation around the cavity first. And then we put that new window in to perfection. So the installer will measure it in like 10 or 12 different places. 
to get it to the 16th of an inch to make sure that new window is perfectly custom fit for that opening so we can get it as tight in there as possible. And then there's a special caulk that's used with vinyl windows that doesn't dry rock hard. So even over time, when your home continues to breathe, that window is going to breathe with the home. So you won't experience the seal failure or any future fogging up or condensation. And all that stuff's covered in the warranty of the glass manufacturer and all that. The, the glass that we use um, for the, the manufacturer that we use is just the absolute best glass that you can get. So that's really the number one solution for, for longevity in that. Yeah, I think you mentioned to me that the products that you use are manufactured locally so that you have really hands-on from, from the manufacturing to the installation aspect. You have total control over that. And I think it's an important thing for the people that are watching and listening to the show to know. We'll be, we'll be scrolling across the phone number and the website and all for Woodruff. So, you know, if you've got some of the questions that we've been talking about, reach out to Lindell and all. He'll give you a consultation and and come out, take a look and say, hey, you know, your windows aren't that bad or I, this is what I suggest. Um, and am I correct? I think some people right away think, oh my God, I'm going to have to take out a second mortgage in order to, to do this job. Uh, there are energy efficient windows that can, you can work within a budget uh, to, to make the home better and safer and give you, like you said, that, that, uh, comfort longevity. Absolutely. Um, of course there are companies that, uh, you know, that are really well-known nationally advertised brands and stuff like that. They'll, they'll come out and they've got a lot of overhead. They've got a lot of advertising costs they have to cover. They've got 18 wheelers going all over the place. I mean, they have a ton of overhead. So naturally the pricing is going to be a whole lot higher. So right. if there are certain companies that have come out to your home and given you a quote, don't let that be your gauge on what energy efficient windows cost. because, you know, the manufacturer that we use, we've been using them for 38 years. They're local. They're right by the airport, right by DFW. They have a huge, awesome manufacturing facility. They even welcome tours, you know, us, since we've been with them so long, if a customer wants to come to the factory and see how the windows are made. I can set up an appointment and we can go walk around the factory if they want to see that. Very uh, interesting. Yeah. It, they're, they're really, really cool people that run it. And like I said, I've known them since I was a little kid. Um, so it, it's, they're like a family up there too. So that's cool. We, we broker directly with them. We get great factory direct prices because we have an, a house account with them. We have for years and um, you know, they, they're not a nationally advertised brand. So they don't have, near as much markup associated with production than some of the nationally advertised brands do. That's why we like to use them. We do have resources to get some of those higher end windows if that's what the homeowner wants. Um, but the standard single family home does not need to spend 60, 70, 80, $90,000 to replace their windows to get a good energy efficient window to get all the benefits. So that's why we like to use Burris windows uh, in, in Fort Worth, that's what they're called, Burris Windows. And uh, we, we like to stick with them. They're, they're great people. And, and another benefit to that, too, is when there's warranty-related issues, you know, we can handle all that stuff for you. They're just a little simple email away from me. I don't have to, like, email all these corporate people and try to go through all this red tape to service a warranty. You know, a lot of these companies, it, it takes quite a while if a warranty thing happens for you to get serviced 
because there's a laundry list. It's not that way with us. If, if you have an issue, you let me know directly and I deal directly with the factory and I get it done for you quick. That, 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 that's important. Now, the windows that you said are manufactured uh, here, do you, the demographics of, of, of Woodruff, are you mainly servicing the DFW Metroplex area? Uh, if somebody, for instance, is watching this show that is, is somewhere else in the country, is there any way that they can access what you are doing in order to maybe have it done to their homes wherever they are? Within, within reason, uh, like our installers, there is a, there's a cap on as far as they'll travel. Um, gotcha. We are doing okay. just on the other side of the Texas-Oklahoma border next week. That's, the, I think, the furthest out we've been. Um, but, you know, if there's someone with an out-of-state thing and they would like to have, uh, we could provide the windows. They could reach out to us and order them through, through us so they can get a good factory direct price and I can have them shipped to them. But as far as doing the install and stuff like that, they would probably have to find local installers. Couldn't really send my installers too far away, but I can be a resource for sure. Yeah. That, that, that's still good to know because I think it's good to ask somebody who has that hands-on approach. In other words, what I'm saying is not working with a company that has a, a staff of estimators. These are people just go out and, and do estimates and everything. And then they pass on the job to subcontractors in all to get it done. You're, you're a one stop where you do everything, uh, the, the onsite uh, measuring, the estimates, the installation, uh, the warranty work, everything is done through one house. And hey, yep. folks, you're always better off going that route. That's, that's right. And, you know, we're not going to be the least expensive quote out there um, by, and I mean, definitely gonna, not going to be the highest. We're not going to be the least expensive. We're going to be close. We're pretty dang competitive with the lowest rate that you'll find out there. Um, but, you know, the extra mile and the above and beyond and, and the, the trust and the knowing that you're in good hands and you always have someone to call and we'll, we'll be on top of it immediately. It's worth a little extra money. Um, and plus, our installers are so good at what they do. We don't get just random install people to do it. We, we pay them extra. We pay them what they're worth because they are amazing. And uh, you can trust that the quality will be good and, and you'll always have someone to call in the event of an issue. Well, you, you said earlier, you've got guys have been with you for 25, 30, 35 years uh, and mm -hmm. all. And that's it. That's saying something. And also I, I might, might throw in there because of our, our earlier discussion, you also take care of your veterans and your first responders uh, and all, and, and, and take good care of them and offer them uh, a little bit of extra incentives too. Yes, we do 10% discounts for, uh, either active military, retired military, uh, you know, um, first responders and teachers. And we, uh, they're, they're legitimate discounts. <laughs> we, we don't, we don't try to pad it to allow for discounts or anything like that. No, legitimately. I mean, we've got military all in our family. Like I said, my grandfather was a Purple Heart recipient in World War II. Yeah. Um, his brother served. So it's it's very, you know, it's important to us to give back how we can. And so, yeah, we offer that. So now let's talk a little bit about Lindell. Because, you know, you, you said that you really have been, you've gotten yourself into this business 
And all just over the last few years, in fact, an awful lot has happened to, to Lyndall Woodruff over the last few years. But let's go back maybe to, to high school. After a high school, did you set your sights on college and what did you want to do? No, my no, I, I didn't. My, my number one thing, I wanted to go to Hollywood and I wanted to be famous. And typically I, I wanted to do that to prove everybody wrong. I started partying at a really young age. And I think a lot of a lot of high school kids do that. You know, um, I was kind of inspired by the things I was listening to in music, the things I was seeing on TV, what kind of is showed to us to be cool in our culture. And it's really not cool at all. What's, what's really shown to us through media and music and television and whatever is set to be the lifestyle, there's nothing cool about it. It's, it's really poisonous when you get down to it on a personal level, you know, consuming alcohol or whatever that it's a depressant it's ethanol it's really poison <laughs> that we put into our body consuming alcohol and it's just shown to us that it's great it's a great thing and it's acceptable and good and i so, saw you know i just followed the trend of everyone else in school and started partying really really young and um you know I, it became a problem at a very early age and I developed quite the reputation of probably never going to amount to anything. Everybody loved me because I was so fun to be around. I've always been kind of the jokester and the, you know, the life of the party and the, the, the happy guy. And I had a lot of friends, but as the alcohol problem progressed and got worse, it's amazing how fast people will turn their back on you. You know, when you're young, it's all party, party, party. But if it becomes an issue, People just walk away from you because the things that the things that alcoholics or addicts tend to end up doing, the selfishness that's involved, the narcissistic behavior that's involved, you know, it's all about me. I don't care about anything else. Those are just kind of traits that go along with active alcoholism and, and, and active addiction. And when that stuff starts happening, your friends just go away. So since I was an entertainer from a very young age, I made it a point. I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to become famous and I'm going to prove everybody wrong. So I went on this crazy, crazy mission <laughs> as a someone that was struggling with alcohol. And I ended up getting to L.A. and I, I did end up quite doing quite a few cool things. But ultimately, alcohol just finally took me down. Um, I think it's about. I'd, I had to leave California um, about nine years ago and come back home to Texas and try to get some help. And, you know, there was a lot of things that happened during that adventure that you know, I needed a lot of therapy and a lot of counseling. And, and you know, there was still ongoing relapses because I was trying to fill a void. There was some type of void inside that I didn't feel worthy of, you know, any type of success. So that was the pattern for a long time. Anytime things would start to get good, I would disappear and drink for four days and miss meetings and people were like where where'd Lindell go you know and then I'd snap out of it and get back on the horse and keep going and then it would happen again so the last several years has really been a, a an adventure of recovery and and not just when I talk about recovery I don't talk about it from a place of just from recovery from alcohol and drugs because you can be a non-drinker and a non-drug user 
and still need recovery. And when I say that, I mean spiritual recovery, mental recovery, emotional recovery, trauma recovery, ego recovery, resentment recovery. There's a lot of different kinds of recovery and, and just kind of the way our society and culture is set up, it, it really creates a lot of internal disconnect, especially with young people, because they're seeing through all these media outlets how things are, they're told how things are supposed to look. And if they don't feel that way about themselves, it, it can create a, a hole and they try to figure out different ways to fill that void. And that's what I used was drugs and alcohol to try to feel better. So it's been, it's been a well, very, you know, I, what, what was it like back in those days? Because you, you said, okay, no, I'm going to, I'm going to be the next big find out in, out in Hollywood. You know, obviously it's, it's not a thought that, that, you know, a million other young kids have uh, just like every, every, you know, country singer wants to go to Nashville as soon as they can to be the next big, big uh, music artist. But what was the, your family dynamic like at this time? Because here you got a successful father, successful grandfather, and all of a sudden the kid, which they thought was going to maybe join them and amount to something and all, decides he's going to follow his dream. You know, what was what was the family dynamic and how did that play into you going to California and how did that play into you ultimately realizing uh, I got, I got to rethink this. 1000% supportive. And I can honestly say that maybe in hindsight, maybe a little too supportive uh -huh. <laughs> to, to the point of enabling. And, you know, I think that uh, it's a hard thing to deal with. I can, I can imagine, you know, when, I, I've just, my, my dad's always been very, yeah, go get them, Ch chase your dreams, not going to hold you back, you know, experience life, fall on your face, you know, keep going. That's just kind of how yeah. I was raised. And, you know, my mom was always very supportive of my endeavors and, and hopes and dreams and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I think that's because I've always been told ever since I was a little kid. And I think this might've been part of the problem too, because even as a little kid, all my teachers would like send notes home with me all the time, talking about how special and unique I was. And I was going to make a big splash in things. And I think that got to my head and established this sweltering ego. And I felt invincible that I could, absolutely do anything. Nothing's going to get in my way and just plow over whatever and just deal with life as it comes. I never really had a plan. I was just on a mission. Like for a while, I think my slogan on my business card was on a mission with no intermission. Period. On a mission with no intermission. Like that whole stop and smell the roses. I was like, that that's for the birds. I'm on a, I'm on a mission. I'll smell the roses, roses when I get there. Um, <laughs> I was so delusional, uh, just so delusional, lost in this in this bubble of of uh, being invincible. You know, like nothing can happen to me. I can do whatever it is that I want, and everything's going to be fine. Like dangerous faith, you know. Um, faith is great, but you know, our behavior and our actions largely has a lot to do with the situations we find ourselves in, <laughs> regardless, 
So, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been quite entertaining and I'm glad that I slowed down a lot over the last several years and, and really started kind of figuring out what's important. Um, in life. Well, it, and, and isn't it fair to say, isn't it fair to say that, that what you experienced by getting sucked up into that, that the, you know, the bright lights and everything of Hollywood, uh, you know, helped lay a strong foundation for who you are today. Oh yes, absolutely. I'm so, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I, I really don't. I mean, I've, I've found myself in a lot of precarious situations because of my uh, drinking shenanigans. Um, but, you know, overall, the people that I got to meet while I was out there, the things that I got to be a part of, um, it was just, it was, for me, it was, it was a dream come true. I was literally living my dream. I set out to go, you know, be a stand-up comedian in LA. And even though I didn't attain any success with that, I still got to share the stage with some of the greatest comedians of all time. And I got to meet tons of them, you know, and to me that was successful because that was what I set out to do. And I was actually doing it. So nobody back home could tell me anything. I was like, well, y'all are just sitting around doing nothing. So I don't want to hear it. You can't, can't tell anything to me. I at right. least picked myself up and came out here and, and gave it a shot. Um, and you know, I, as a result, I still I still get to do a little stand up comedy present day, and I love it. It's it's my it's my my release. It's part of my therapy. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of therapy, because of your your uh, uh, you know uh, encounter with uh, drugs and alcohol and all, you finally did go into a program to, to help, help get yourself straight. And because of that, you have now become an advocate for programs of that type and all for young people. And in addition to working full time, uh, in addition to reaching out and working with, with young people to help them not follow the path that you took, uh, you, you also have still held on to a little bit of that 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 because you find that that is kind of a, a release for you that's your that's your way to stay connected to your dream but but also to be grounded uh uh you know with the people that that uh, you're surrounded by absolutely yeah I've, I've been i've been in a program of active recovery for quite some time and there's a outpatient treatment center in mckinney called grace to change that I went to uh, back in 2014 and uh, was very active with them and, and got to you know, partner up with someone to produce a golf tournament tournament for them at one point in time. And um, I actually uh, went there maybe about a month and a half ago, two months ago to share my story with one of the classes there. And um, we're uh -huh. doing a thing there for, uh, for 2023, the entire year we're allocating 10% of our net profits to grace to change. They are a 501 C three in, uh, in McKinney and they have a very special place in my heart. So there's a lot of youth and a lot of kids 
struggling right here in our own communities with all this stuff. And now they're putting fentanyl and everything. And one little fake pill is killing kids and it's just out of hand. It, it's completely out of hand. So uh, that's really my, one of my main areas of focus is being able to share my story of experimentalism and what experimentalism led to for me, because any, it, it does not discriminate. Anybody that starts consuming alcohol or any type of drug runs the risk of becoming dependent. Um, anyone, it, exactly. it does not discriminate. And, and now they got, it's scary these days because they got all these fake pills that are pressed on the street with fentanyl and one pill can kill you. One. And it's dropping kids right and left. So I, that's one thing that I'm real passionate about is being able to share my story about what experimentalism did for me in my life and hopefully spark some inspiration and in some kids to realize that crap that I'm being fed really isn't cool. That messaging that comes through the popular stuff, it's, it really is not cool and it really does not result in a lot of great results. It really doesn't. Well, peer, peer pressure is is extremely strong today. It's been it's been strong with every generation, but I think the the young people today are very very much, uh, you know, affected by their peers. Uh, so, having said that, what message do you send to the parents? What are the signs that parents need to look at? to see if maybe their child is is getting a little bit influenced from the wrong side. I think one of the biggest things is lack of interest in things, um, lack of interest in extracurricular activities involving the school. Isolation is a big one. Um, wa walking, walking with their head down, um, you know, kind of just floating. Um, those are kind of the things to, to look for. And, and one thing that I would say that I think is very important for parents is to just ask more questions about, you know, how their kids are, are feeling and what they might be dealing with instead of trying to tell them what to do so much. Because we're humans, you know, we, we are ego and typically the kid wants to do the exact opposite of what they're telling them, what, of what they're telling them to do. So if it becomes more of a conversation of, Hey, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I do want to at least introduce you to some stories to listen to of what's possible. If you do go down that road because there's there, there's drawbacks and benefits to everything. Right. So if we can, if we can change the narrative to, Hey, you know, the stuff's out there. I'm, I'm not, I'm not dumb to kids being experimental, uh, but I do want to at least let you know, like if, if you do these things, these are the things that could happen. And, you know, just think about these things whenever you're, if you give them, and this is just, I, I don't know. I just have my first kid. She's only two months old, whatever. So I really don't, <laughs> I haven't had that experience yet, but I think that, I think that uh, conversation with, with options instead of direct orders, I think tend to probably bode a little better with, with kids because they tend to want to defy, you know? So if you're saying, don't do this, don't do that. And like breathe them down their throat, they're going to go, God, leave me alone. And they right. want to get away. Like, don't tell me yeah. what to do. 
Well, I think I think that what 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 I have have uh, aspired to is the fact, and I think you'll agree with me that parents today need to be more proactive and not reactive, uh, because that's the best way that they can be involved in their kids. Well, you know, you 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 meant you just kind of let the, the, the cat out of the bag. Cause the next thing I wanted to talk about is you got a really lovely little daughter, uh, and all Everly Sage. And we're even going to share, share a picture of Everly Sage. Cause she's a little, a little doll. Yes, uh, yeah. and I know that she is actually absolutely your heartthrob, but there is also a very important story to learn from this young lady because uh, and I want you to share the story your way uh, with your with uh, uh, you, uh and Everly Sage, and what the situation is, uh, where this young young lady came from, and and what the circumstances are that surround her life today. If I can collect myself, um, yeah, she's uh, she is a miracle on so many different levels. Me and my wife have been married for five years, um, December 22nd. And I know this is coming out just a little before then, but December 22nd will be our five year anniversary. And, um, back in July, you know, we've had three miscarriages in the past. And, um, you know, my, my wife had her own struggles with, with alcohol. You know, she, it's just been kind of a, a thing with us for a while. And I was trying to get help and, you know, she, she was kind of having, you know, she had a problem, but she didn't really realize it because she came from, you know, a family that everyone just drank. It was just what they did, you know, and that's, that's pretty common all over the place. Um, but uh, so in July of 2020, um, I, I've, I've been, I've been on probation with Collin County for a number of years uh, because of, uh, you know, driving while intoxicated charges and uh, my own issues with that stuff. And so I was on probation and um, some stuff was going south with my wife. This was the summer of 2020 and we had just had another miscarriage. It was our third miscarriage and we just weren't getting along and it was very hard. And um, so I had, uh, I had slipped and went and got some, uh, some Xanax from somebody that I knew. And one of those Xanax, they just happened to be one of those fake fentanyl pressed pills that I was talking about a minute ago. And my plan, my genius plan was to just take a Xanax and relax in bed and watch a movie. You know, that's, that's what my dumb head told me. Um, and I, I took that one pill on a Sunday night and my wife was out of town and uh, I, I took that on a Sunday night and I woke up in Collin County Jail Wednesday afternoon and I had no idea what happened from Sunday to Wednesday. I had, I had no clue. And I checked my paperwork and I had gotten another driving while intoxicated charge. And I was on probation for one. So I was looking at prison time. And they finally agreed. My attorney went back and forth with the DA for quite some time. I think I was in Collin County Jail for like five and a half months. But they agreed to not send me to actual 
prison, but to send me to a treatment program in prison. So I still had to go to prison. It was a nine month treatment program that I had to go to. And while I was in that program, um, things were rocky with my wife. So I had filed for divorce when I was incarcerated and I had the paperwork drawn up and I hadn't been talking to her and she had kind of spiraled out of control uh, when I filed for divorce. And, you know, she had just graduated from UNT with her bachelor's in counseling. She got accepted to grad school. She was wanting to be a therapist and she's going to be a fantastic one too, but she had some stuff that she was dealing with. And, um, while I was uh, incarcerated, she went out with some friends to a restaurant. They drank too much, and my wife uh, blacked out in the restaurant and ended up behind the wheel of her car, and she caused a, an accident that injured a couple of people, and, and someone passed away in the accident. And um, she, of course, I was in the treatment program whenever it happened, and she went to jail and she got bonded out. I found her out her new phone number whenever I was still there. And I started calling her every week because that could have been me so many times. And I really, I'm sure there's some people out there that have never been behind the wheel when they shouldn't have been because not everyone drinks. There are people out there that just don't drink. So of course there's people out there that haven't been behind the wheel when they shouldn't have been. But predominantly, I think it doesn't take much to get you over the legal limit. That's another thing that I want to point out. Like we have this thing where, hey, I can just I can go to dinner and have a few glasses of wine with my salmon and then drive home. I'm really not drunk. You know, well, you're still over the legal limit, most likely. And if an accident happens or something, it's your fault. You're the one that's going to get. So yeah. we have this thing in society to where like it's kind of commonplace, but then if an accident happens or an arrest happens, then the labels come out and all these stereotypes start getting, all, all these things start getting thrown on it. Um, so anyways, I, I'm, I, I digress, but I started calling her every single week just to check on her and just talk to her. Cause that's some deep stuff. I mean, that's something she's going to have to right. deal with the rest of her life. And you know, that guy had kids and it was just, it was such a freaking sad, sad, sad scenario. And I was talking to her every week just to try to encourage her. And she was out on bond. And of course, you know, it takes a while for court to happen whenever that stuff happens. I got out of the treatment program, October 26th of 2021. Yeah. 2021. And I went to a halfway house after that. So I was at the halfway house for two months. So I walked out of the halfway house on Christmas morning at 9.32 AM last year. So I've been out for almost a year. And when I got out, I got her and I, we had been talking every single week and we decided, well, wait a minute, we're both, she got involved in a program of recovery. She started helping other ladies. She started sponsoring people. She started leading meetings and her, she completely changed. She turned into a completely different person. So I was doing the same thing. I was working on myself, getting all this transformational stuff, dealing with all this old trauma, yada, yada, yada. So we were like, well, Hey, this is really cool. We're both getting healthy. Maybe we are right for each other. We know if we're both sick, we're not right for each other. 
But if we're both healthy, maybe we are. And hey, we're already legally married. So why don't we just give it a shot? So we agreed that we would give, just stay together and see what happens. So when I got out Christmas morning, I got us a new apartment. We had three weeks together before she got sentenced, before she went to court. And during that three weeks is when we got pregnant with Everly Sage. And so she, uh, we went to court in January, this last January, and they sentenced her to eight years in, uh, in TDC, in Texas prison. And uh, they took her out of court and everything and you know, took her into custody right then. And about two weeks later, I went to visit her and she, I sat down and she looked at me really weird. And I go, you're pregnant, aren't you? <laughs> I just knew it. I just knew it. I felt it. My dad had a feeling it was going to happen. My stepmom had a feeling it was, the whole family had a feeling it was going to happen. And so the entire pregnancy, she was uh, down at a uh, women or a medical unit prison down in Galveston. So I drove down there three times a month this entire year to visit her. We would get four hour contact visits all through the pregnancy. Everly was born September 29th. My wife got to keep her for three days to herself in the hospital. And then I went and picked her up. And then so now it's me and um, me and that beautiful baby. And we get to go uh, go visit mom once a week for two hours. And uh, she gets to hold her and feed her. And it's just a it's an emotional freaking roller coaster, man. It It is. And and Lyndall. Uh, you know, I, I, I asked you, I said, w- when we talked, you mentioned this story and I said, I'm not going to bring this up in the show if you don't want to. And you said, no, you felt that it would, it would be not only therapeutic for you, but also for the people that were watching and listening. And I thank you for sharing that story because it is away from Christmas. And what this story tells you is that miracles can happen, that you can get together. Uh, you Even after you've had some rocky road ahead, issues with, with drugs, alcohol, uh, uh, recovery, that little girl on the screen right there is the miracle that can happen when you finally set your life straight and you get it together and you say, you know what? We can turn this whole thing around. And for, for Lyndall and, and Neely Woodruff, uh, it's, it's been a 360-degree a turn, really, more than, than, than 180. But my friend, I thank you for sharing your story with us today. I hope that people, as they go into the holidays, will remember that there is a lot of good that can happen out of bad situations. And where you and your wife both were heading in opposite directions, in negative directions, uh, you were in a path of self-destruction. There was something bigger than all of us that said these two deserve another chance. Even though mom is liberated from from uh, uh, Everly right now, that you know, I think I think the road ahead is really great for for the whole family. And I I thank you so much for sharing it with me today and uh, uh, the best of luck to you with your family, with your extended family, with the grandparents and the great grandparents and everybody. uh, And also with the business too, 
Very, very, very important. Folks, reach out to, to Lindell. Thank you, my Thank friend. You. Thank you. I appreciate and, the opportunity and, to come on and, and, and share because, you know, like you said, I, I want to be as transparent about all this as possible because uh, so many people out there struggle and suffer in silence because of this stigma that's attached to the whole entire thing. But so many, you know, you see all, and I, this is the last thing I'll say, I know we got to get off the air, but, you know, I, I do understand that, that, you know, COVID's a big issue. All this stuff's a big issue. But in my opinion, there is nothing as staggering in this country than addict addiction. Alcoholism and addiction destroys more people than pretty much anything. It's destroying families all the time. And I think there's a different way to talk about it. I really think there's a different approach yeah. that we can take uh, for prevention. You know, I think prevention is a big thing. Uh, so I'm, I, I just thank you so much for allowing me to come on and, and be transparent. And it, and it knows no gender and it knows no age and it knows, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it's an important message that, that you have shared. And I hope that some of the people that have been watching and listening say, hey, you know, my eyes are open now and uh, I know a little bit more about it. Lyndall Woodruff, very Merry Christmas to you and your family. And all, I wish you the very, very best. We'll stay in touch. Uh, I always end my show by saying, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. I Amen. know Lyndall knows what that means and all, and he's lived that life too. So please join us again next week for someone you should know. And again, go out and make it a great day and all. And thank you again to Lyndall Woodruff, someone you should know. Thanks, Dirk.